0: Welcome to Behind the Product, a podcast by SCP, where we believe it takes more than a great idea to make a great product. We've been around for over 30 years, building software that matters more, and we've set out to explore the people, practices, and philosophies to try and capture what's behind great software products. So join us on this journey of conversation with the folks that bring ideas to life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Behind the Product. Mr. Dave Matthews joining me as my co-host again. Dave, how are you, my friend? I'm great, Zach. Thanks for having me again today. Well, I'm excited to have you on this one because we're going to try something new again because this is experimentation year for the uh, podcast here at SCP. And we're going to try a recap show. So, Dave, you and I just got done talking about what were some of, of the episodes and shows that we've done in the past that you thought were and compelling and had some, had some good points uh, that really stuck out to you. And you've joined me for, I think, three shows up to this point. So you've been rather involved. So I appreciate it so much for you joining me again.
1: Yeah, well, I like helping out. So great to be here again.
0: Yeah. And, and again, we get to experiment with something new. We've never done a show like this before, which is basically recycling our material and then trying to maybe point out some specific things from uh, different guests. So we're going to talk about four shows. And we're going to do kind of a, a quick setup for each section and kind of go from there. Sound good? Yeah. Well, we hope you all enjoy uh, this new type of show for SCP. Maybe we'll try this once a year going forward. All right. First up, we're going to be talking about a show that we did last year with Ryan Larkum, who is over at High Alpha. And there's kind of two things that stuck out uh, in this show Uh, around funding models for innovation groups inside of a larger enterprise as well as this idea of somebody having a new innovation project as a part-time job.
1: Yeah, I thought this was interesting because uh, a lot of times what we see uh, with our clients is once they get to us as a builder, they're kind of ready to go. And there's, there's, I think, a lot of certainty that's been built up in the process by the time they get to the point where they want to build. And that can come with kind of varying levels of real confidence in what that is from, you know, somebody just had an idea and we're, we're going to run with it and Hey, we've done a lot of research to figure out like to validate this and make sure it's a good idea. So, uh, and I think a lot of that is driven just by how businesses are constructed and how they're funded. And so taking that into consideration on how certain is this idea that you're, that you're pursuing and it, could you be approaching it from a different way? Um, Ryan talks a little bit about how you get, you know, these. If you're funding it out of PNL or capital, it's 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 very different on the expectations that the business is going to have, and for kind of the that level of certainty that you need for getting results out of that effort. So definitely some so, some interesting things to consider there. And then yeah, he also talks a little bit about kind of this this working in the messy middle and. Um, having these projects where you are learning and maybe putting it as somebody's part-time job to to make this thing kind of get off the ground or to do it and that's that's a really good way for for things to kind of fall on the ground because you know people are already busy with their normal jobs and just trying to try, trying to get their work done and trying to make an impact with what's already on their plate so if you're splitting their time and their attention for something that should be kind of an important innovation effort uh, it's, a, it's a good way for it to you know not. Uh, not have the impact that you want and kind of just fall off to the side. So this was pretty interesting.
0: Part-time jobs are always the uh, first thing to go when uh, times get hard. Yeah. Good good call. All right. Hope you enjoy Ryan Larkham.
2: So I'm curious, Ryan, customers come to us a lot of times and they're trying to innovate. We hear that word a lot. A lot of times it's in an adjacent area like you described. But they traditionally, because of the way the funding models inside the organization work, They've already had to make a business case. They've already had to identify a problem and solution. They've already had to secure budget. And so while they say they want to learn, search, experiment, whatever the, you know, words, startup lingo they want to use, they're really not. Like they, they want to learn, assuming that they're going to produce something of value at the end. If they spend money and learn and produce nothing, that's that's not real interesting or not not acceptable. They'd rather fail traditionally than to do that. I'm just curious when people come to you and you engage, Like, where are they at and how much do you need to uh, help them rethink the way they fund
3: this type of projects within their organization? It's a really good question, Chris. And, and we get them at both ends of the spectrum where you guys get them, where they're like, hey, we've got a business case. There's a team inside running this. We've already put a couple million bucks toward it. It's just not getting the results that we want and we also got ones where they're like hey autonomous vehicles are going to be a thing we got to figure out what to do with that right so top of funnel bottom of funnel I, you know i think the mistake number 2 in this Kind of piece of the conversation is that folks try and fund it out of the pnl just like capital projects are funded out of capital this needs to be a capital expense and, and the reason is to your point you don't know what the business model is when you're building something that's brand new part of the learning is trying to figure out what a repeatable scalable business model is and if you got to put together a two-year PL just to secure funding you're making up numbers that you don't know better to say we're going to define success based on learning milestones and we're going to fund you to your next learning milestone the way that a VC does. Do that out of your capital budget. And then when you have something that's repeatable and scalable, well, then you figure out whether it's going to come inside the business and you fund it off the P&L again.
2: What have you felt like you guys have had to do from a business to sort of frame yourself uh, so people understand when they come to you uh, what they're asking, right? Like, again, we're framed more as a development partner. And when people come to us, they're ready to start building. And it sort of feels weird to say, well, hang on a second. Let's talk about business viability and feasibility and those those types of things. I'm curious things you've had to learn that, that's helped frame, you know, your organization so that people come in the right
3: door, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And something that we're still searching for as we try to define what is the product market fit between VCs, entrepreneurs, and corporations. I think where we try to put ourselves is as builders, when you think about the the opportunity, if it's in an adjacency, if it's something that you don't yet know, right? It's far from your experience set. And then specifically for us, because of our investment thesis, if it's B2B SaaS, it's going to be cloud software that sells to an enterprise as a primary customer, then we believe out is better than in all the time, always. And we'll always approach it with that lens. Now, you know, we've done engagements before where we're open-handed on what the other side of that looks like. It could be that you know through discovery, it's better to be B2C or it's better be inside the business. But what are we architecting for at the beginning is we say, we're going to start a startup here for these specific reasons.
2: Brian, what kind of advice you might give to some of our customers or people who approach us? And I didn't coin this term, but I've been using it a lot lately, talking about the messy middle, which is this spot between the business has an idea, we think there's this opportunity that exists, and I have teams that are ready to go execute. And how do I go from these spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations to like actionable backlog or work items that we can build and deploy, how do I navigate that messy middle? I'm curious from your experience, what, what advice you might give or what you've learned over the years about some of those challenges of navigating that space.
3: I heard a quote recently, and gosh, I wish I was able to attribute it, um, was in Amazon or one of the other successful tech co's, which was, you know if you want something to fail, make it somebody's part-time job. I think too often, corporations shell these innovation things in the corner and say, hey, let's just you know push that forward, make it a launch project. And then in the same breath, turn around and look at us and say, make sure that you're not a drag on the business. The worst thing you can do is put these things on somebody's plate as a part-time job. That is the ultimate drag on the business. So first of all, I think having these explicitly spun out in an area of the business where we are going to process through those ideas rapidly. And then pairing that with a process, ideally with learning milestones involved. You know, when we think about learning milestones just from idea to conviction, we're we're thinking about have we identified the problem really well? Is it a big opportunity space from a market perspective? But more importantly, do we know who the customer is and what their priority job to be done is? And do we have that with you know, a large amount of research from one-on-one interviews through ethnography, as well as some, some research and surveys? You know, when you understand the problem really well, then you can move to solutioning. You know, from a solution perspective, do we understand the MVP? Not the big solution. Everybody wants to paint what the magic bullet is. It's What's the first product that's going to create value out of the gate that people are going to love and use and beg for you not to take away? And then when you know what the MVP is, how are you going to monetize that? Inside corporations, you got tons of options. It could be a loss leader. It could be a product that, that drives stickiness for customers. It doesn't necessarily have to be profitable, but there needs to be a clear understanding of what the unit of value is that's being contributed to the customer. So that you can monetize that unit of value in a meaningful way, whether it's per head, per platform, per transaction, per seat, whatever. So you'd be really clear on those things. And when you kind of get those three clicks done, then you can look at it more clear eyed and say, where's the best place to build this business?
0: All right. Our next episode, uh, we talked to Rick Sansone, who I think is with Delta. And he talked a lot about uh, design and UX and kind of his journey. And a uh, little bit of advice that he gave to somebody that's just embarking on that journey uh, was something that uh, we thought was pretty compelling and helpful. Yeah, this is a,
1: a piece of advice I think is that's particularly useful to people that are c- kind of fresh out or or young in their careers. And it's something that I see a lot of old timers, so to speak, uh, give to to younger people, which is to, you know, try to try to not take things personally and in design you're, you're really trying to get things right from the, the user's perspective and, you know, t- taking your, your own ego out of it really mm. can be uh, beneficial.
0: I think we could all benefit from that, but yes, in this context, it's, it's especially beneficial. I agree. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, I'm kind of thinking back, you, you know, there are things that I know now, you know, having been doing this for however many years, And, um, I wish I would, I wish I'd have known 10 years ago, you know, what do you feel like when you were kind of embarking on this journey, you wish you would have known like, what's the advice you'd almost give somebody that's, that's embarking on this journey. Now,
4: I would say, don't take things personal. Mm. If you're coming from a design background or some sort of art background or creative background, there's certainly a heck of a lot of room for that in UX and UI. When I would do a painting or a drawing, you're all in it. Your emotions are in there and somebody kind of disparages it and you get very upset and, and offended and your ego gets bruised. The designs we're doing here and the UX for the users and stakeholders to meet their goals when your design doesn't work, when you're testing it, or a stakeholder throws some tomatoes at it, it's fine. Remove your ego from it. Don't, don't take it personal. And you're like literally back to the drawing board again to do some sketches or wireframes or whatnot, but it has to meet them. Uh, It has to make them happy, you know, or, or meet their goals and, and speak to it and prove it that it has. I've learned from that, that failure in the designs when we test them is, is better than always succeeding. You know, this it's impossible to knock out a flow right out of the park that like everybody thinks it's great right off the bat you it takes a few times uh to do that and i you learn more from the failure than you do the success i'll even run it again run another test again it's like those folks everybody thought that was really that easy No, on the first try all right let's let's just run that again with a different group of people and we'll we'll see if that's true and sure enough there might be a few things out of that
0: and for our third clip, we've got an episode that we did with Dwayne Musser a little while ago, and he talks a lot about uh, engineering more than just products and really focusing on people in the organization and culture and kind of how you set up an environment so that teams can be the best version of themselves and uh, his different experiences through his career. Now, Dave, what did you pull out of that?
1: Yeah, well, th- what I thought was interesting was kind of his diverse experience, and so he is able to just talk to you know from from startups to big corporations um, to government. I, th- I think he has a, a diverse set of experience, so uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting to to hear kind of how things play out in various different contexts from a single person that's been kind of in all those
0: environments. Yeah, uh, that's fair, and I think that's that can be very very helpful for people to get some broad uh, exposure. Yeah. So you've worked both in small, large, and government. I mean, you, you really have, have kind of run the gambit for the most part. What would you say is uh, the things that you like about working for small companies, things that you like about working for large companies? We'll focus on the pros to start with.
5: If I had to go look back, I mean, I don't think I could have asked for a better first job. Coming out of school, you know, I have this, that, I've learned these theories. But, you know, I walked into a job with like uh six engineers and if something needs done you do it it's it's not like oh that's write a ticket send it to another department somebody will do it it's like no you do it so having that kind of i don't want to say pressure in a negative way but that really teaches you and forces you to learn and someone like me who like learning is like the ultimate goal it's great to have that experience but on the big side you do get to step back and stop worrying about some of the other things and focus on doing something well so i know uh, working for the first insurance company i did um you know just getting in there and seeing there's a billion moving pieces to this system to make everything work and it's like okay here's my niche i can make a positive impact by making a piece better and just really getting to dive deep into that and say okay This is how I can make this better. And this uh, role I took on was kind of a um, third tier, fourth tier support. So we were Mm. working on existing products, enhancing and growing the products, but helping lead that team, a cross-functional team of engineers um, to make things happen. And this is after customers have seen it. This is code that's been live. So everything you do comes from the knowledge of it worked like this. It didn't work for people. So now we can do it better.
0: Uh, that's interesting. You, you touch on something that I, I, I personally talk about a lot, this, this idea of stress versus sense of urgency, especially in like a smaller company where you might wear more hats or, uh, every day maybe has a larger impact to the overall success of the company versus working for somebody that or a larger company at least. Um, and I always I always tell people, I think sets of, sense of urgency is healthy. Stress can, at least sustainably, is not very sustainable at the same time. Um, so it's kind of funny you bring that up. All right. And our last clip comes back from back home from a show that we did here earlier this year with a few folks here from SEP talking about how we tend to think about, you know, air quotes, adaptable practices. Dave, what did you really pull out of that?
1: Yeah, well, what I liked about this part was it really shows that you know a lot of companies I think have a way of doing things, and I would say our way of doing things is to to really not have a hard way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we are very adaptable to uh, what our clients need, what their environments like, what the actual project or product they're working on. What does that need? What do we need to learn? What kind of mode of operation are we in? So we give our teams a lot of flexibility and a lot of autonomy to be able to kind of make the best decisions to to do the best job for our clients. So I thought this was an interesting clip to kind of just see how how that plays out and um, how we're you know we adapt to to what's best.
0: Yeah, I love that, and it doesn't it doesn't change it or it changes over time. It's not just one moment at the start of a project or the the start of a relationship. It evolves over time because products and projects and in and, and life and organizations evolve over time so your practices should follow suit to some degree right yeah, I yeah love it. absolutely very cool so okay i want to talk about a couple of specific things that we do again that i have i've personally just not experienced other companies that i think is really cool um so uh we tend to walk into a new project with more uh pardon the 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 trite analogy here a more of a playbook rather than a play. It's less, here's how we do things and more how we approach them. Um, and I know that there's been various versions over the years of kind of how we approach this, but you know, tell me a little bit about this, John, right? We, we've learned things over almost 34 years. We've tried a lot of different things. We started doing Agile years ago, probably like everybody else, but we, we've been around since the 80s. It's now 2022, how do we, how do we bring all that collective goodness to bear for our clients? What do we try to do there?
6: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so, you know, we, we've been around, you know, 34 years, like you just said, you know, we've gone from, you know, waterfall, feature-driven development, agile, lean, Kanban. And so it's like, you know, we, we have experimented and played with uh, like lo- lots of different methods, lots of, lots of different methodologies. Um, and, and so, so we have lots of experiences Executing projects in lots of different contexts, whether they're regulated or not, consumer facing, back end, mm-hmm. business to business. Um, so so we have a, t- a ton of experience executing lots of different ways. And so anytime a client comes to us with a problem, it's like th- there, there is there is never a cookie cutter solution to what that is. Right. So it, it, would be, it would be a little bit ridiculous for us to try to come with a cookie cutter response for like, here's how you should approach your project. Mm-hmm. And then we would all run our projects the same. So in fact, what we do is all of our projects uh, basically basically run uh, with complete autonomy, and, yep. and they can they can execute sort of however, however they want. Uh, but we do we do know that there are some things that work better uh, than others, especially in particular contexts. Mm. Uh, so so we're starting to starting to formalize around that, and we we have in the past as well. But what we really want to do is be be deliberate. Be deliberate about about the way that we approach a project, yeah, uh, in a particular situation with a particular client. You know, most of our clients like we have history with, so we so we know what works and what doesn't inside mm. there. But but also depending on you know the, the current project, their current situation, uh, there might be some things that we need to tweak um, and, and operate a little bit differently. Uh, so, so we have a, we have a set of things um, uh, to, to help teams sort of get off on the right foot and make sure make sure that we're sort of uh, operating. Not in what we would say um, best practices, because I think when you get in, when you get into the situations, like there, there aren't necessarily best practices. Like we're in a complex scenario here. Yeah. Uh, sort of like you, you have to sort of sense and respond. You try something, see if it works. Yes. Uh, if it doesn't, uh, let's try something else. Yeah.
0: It's not static. Right. Yeah. a starting point. Right. Exactly. But goal, outcome you're trying to achieve. And I don't know, Juliana. I'm sure you, I mean, you do this every day with your team. Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. Let, let's adjust this. Yeah. That wasn't exactly what we we're looking for. Let's try this a little bit, and it's it's like a zigzaggy pattern, yeah. you know, to to really flush out and and carve away the hard parts of the stone to eventually get hopefully get to a point where you're you're operating efficiently. Mm-hmm. You know, how, what does that look like for you on a day to day basis with your with your teams?
7: Yeah. Um. I, it it's definitely dev driven. Like all of our processes. Um, are kind of a combination, a function of what the dev team needs and what our clients need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like as a team lead, I'm the the proxy, right? I'll create that abstract layer, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so that you know our clients are getting everything that they need. But under the surface, the dev team can operate however they need to yeah. to just get work done. And when you strip away all that dogma, like the team can just. Do what they need to do. Yeah.
6: Um.
7: And then out of that falls process. Okay. Like what you know, what is and what is not working. Um. When stuff isn't working, that's when we out process mm-hmm. or strip it away. If yeah. The process was the issue. Um. And, and you're right. It's like totally tail. It's totally context specific. Uh, like I've gone to a number of mentors, um. Especially from the first couple of projects that I've been leading. Like, okay, so should I do this or this? And I always get, well, it depends, it depends, it depends on Yeah, you know, which yeah. is like <laughs> terrible answer. But I mean, it's a great answer. Um, not one that I ever wanted to, I uh, was hoping to hear, but yeah.
0: I, I feel think, like I heard it depends a lot when I first started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that should be one of the values that we have. It depends. <laughs> <So it's, laughs> I think, you know, when we, when we operate this way, like there's a little bit more of a need to understand like some of the principles that mm. we're going after. So Rather than like, we're going to do it this way. Um, we put a lot more emphasis on understanding the principles and, yeah. and a little bit more on like, what's the intent behind doing this practice or that practice? Right. And then that helps us make good decisions about what's the practice that makes sense for this project or right. this customer. All right, folks. Well, that was uh, uh, our first attempt at a recap show. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you uh, uh, found value in the the nuggets that we pulled out for you. And Dave, thank you so much for joining me again. This is show number four. You're going to be yeah, uh, your regular, I think, at this point, right? We can call it a streak. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate the time that you put in to kind of uh, helping to craft the the clips and the uh, things that we've done over time. So I appreciate it, my friend. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. And as always, if you're looking to uh, engage with our show, you can find more information at scp.com slash podcast or find us on any of your players. Hope you enjoy the day. Have a good one.